Is your wallet lighter than usual after a fun-filled summer? A little cash can go a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits you'll love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today. Get started at chime.com slash fee-free. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Welcome to The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, we got a lot to talk talk about on this episode following the impressive debut of Dean Kramer on Sunday. Um, in a win over the Yankees, Kramer pitched six innings with one hit, one run, uh, three walks, and seven strikeouts. Other than the second inning that looked a little bit uh, dicey until Kramer was able to pitch his way out of a jam, he was pretty much lights out as the Orioles defeated the Yankees 5-1. to one. Uh, In addition to Kramer, we're also going to talk a little bit about Keegan Aiken um, and his, what I think is a continual progression of him at the major league level um, and how the Orioles have adjusted since the injury of Anthony Santander. Uh, we're going to start, though, with Kramer's debut. I mentioned the numbers against the Yankees. Uh, Bob Phelan wrote a piece this morning. Um, his latest three-up, three-down column, which touched on Kramer's debut a little bit. So, Bob, I'll start with you. You mentioned Kramer as one of the player, three players whose stock is up uh, coming into this week. What were your impressions of his uh, first start in the majors? Very impressed. I mean, he came out in that first inning, touching 96, looked like he had pinpoint control of his fastball, showed that nasty looping curveball that he has, struck out, uh, the first two batters he faced and got a nice lazy fly out to center field. And then I thought it was going to unravel in the second inning. Seemed like he had, in the, in the other sport I cover, MMA, sometimes when someone's having their UFC debut, they'll come out of the gates firing on all cylinders and look like they're a world beater. And then all of a sudden they just hit a wall and they fade. And they call it an adrenaline dump. feels like Kramer kind of did that in the second inning where his fastball was all of a sudden 91, 92. And he just could not find a plate to save his life. I think he had more balls and strikes in inning for sure. A couple walks, gave up a hit. But somehow he was able to grit his way through it. Honestly, he should have got out of it without giving up any runs. Rio Ruiz kind of 
clutch double clutch the ball that could have been a double play to end the inning with no runs. Unfortunately, it was a little bit late. Run scored, but then Kramer just regrouped at the bottom half of that inning and came out and did four great innings after that. Uh, maybe slowed down a tiny bit in the sixth, but they couldn't. You could uh, argue he might have been able to bring him out for the seventh inning. He was only at eighty-eight pitches, but get him out early while he's got a decent pitch count with some confidence. Yeah, I just I love that cutter slash slider fastball mix. It's like great tunneling. One goes one way, one goes the other. That curveball is nice. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about how impressive Aiken has been, but. You can see where Aiken is a guy, and we'll talk about him more in a little bit, who might long-term be better situated for the bullpen. But for me, Kramer, he screams starting pitcher, like mid-rotation guy, potential. Obviously, he has to reach that, but he's got the the mix. He's got the the moxie on the mound. He's got the mound presence. So very impressed by his debut, for sure. Yeah, definitely agree with pretty much everything there. I mean, I, I won't knock I won't knock it against him that he did make this fabulous debut against one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball in the New York Yankees, but you know, it's it's still fine. It's a great outing. Um yeah, we saw the curveball, a lot of swing and misses. I think he got uh three whiffs on the curveball out of ten swings. Um the average exit velocity, I thought that was pretty interesting on the curveball was seventy seven point six miles an hour. So guys are just unable to hit that. Uh, my favorite thing about his outing was that you know, when he came out in the second inning, kind of kind of flat there, losing his control a bit. Uh, you know, luckily we had Cal Ripken Jr. in the booth uh, telling some amazing stories to kind of ease that anxiety. But he came back out in the third inning and needed just nine pitches, and then he needed eleven pitches in the fourth inning, and then ten pitches in the fifth inning. Uh, and and again, you know, that's he didn't let those you know. This, disgusting looking Yankees uniforms bother him he climbed back on that mound and, and absolutely loved it um you know this you couldn't ask for anything better out of that outing especially when he just got that call I think it was what they said like 10 or 11 the night before when the Orioles called him and, and said hey you want to pitch and he's there he's on the mound uh, doing a great job and he's putting the Orioles now and uh gives them a series win against the Yankees the Orioles are now two games out of the playoffs so that's, that's a big game I know a lot of Orioles fans, I think us included, kind of sit back and say, like, if we don't make the playoffs, that's fine. That was the that's what we all figured this year. But I, I think in that clubhouse, you know those guys are gunning for a playoff spot, I feel like. And, and for Kramer to be thrown into that and to pitch the way he did was, was pretty awesome. I mean, just to put it into to context, that one start, he was worth 0.3 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. Uh, the Orioles' leader right now is 0.4. That's Alex Cobb. Uh, Tommy Malone was 0.6, but, you know, he's gone in Atlanta now. So, I mean, that's – couldn't ask for anything better from Dean Kramer. And I am I am excited. I think you definitely saw that, like, as you mentioned, Bob, that we've always had questions about Aiken, uh, but with – about starter, reliever. But with Kramer, you saw that just that, that tick better of a pitcher there um, and just that first outing. And I know it's only one outing, but, again, you saw it instantly of how he is – that much better of a prospect than Aiken. And you saw a glimpse of what his ceiling is going to be at the major league level. It's pretty awesome. You know, by and large, to me, Kramer just looked polished. I really don't have a better word for it. His mechanics looked really good. I was really impressed by his delivery. I thought his mound presence was good. Um, the fastball, not just the velocity, uh, the movement on the fastball was really good. Um, the second inning was the rough part, and there was, you know, that was the one part of the game where I kind of held my breath, like, okay, can he get his way out of this? Because we've seen young pitchers, not just on the Orioles, but uh, plenty of other teams around Major League Baseball, hit a wall, 
and not be able to overcome it. Even if they get out of that inning, the struggles carry over uh, because they're laboring or they press, whatever it is. But after that second inning, Kramer really was locked in. Um, and really, the Yankees never got back into the game. And although the Yankees did not have anything you know, resembling their best team on the field, Aaron Judge is out, John Carlos Stanton is out, there's still some hitters in that lineup that are not going to give you easy at-bats. And yet Kramer seemed to be moving through, getting strikeouts, sometimes not you know, doing it pretty early in the count, not working his way into deep counts, generating a lot of soft contact. And it was actually... You brought up the Ruiz play, Bob. I actually thought that if that ball had been a little bit harder hit, that would have been a double play to end the inning. But it was such a slow roller that by the time Ruiz got to it, fielded it, and as you said, double clutch, he really didn't have a smooth transition getting the ball out of his glove. Um, The runner was clearly safe. But even that ball was not hard hit. So I just didn't see a lot of hard contact against him. Uh, after the second inning, he was re- really able to lock back in with his command and really roll through that lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, there was not many line drives or bullets off the bat. And, yeah, you saw his velocity dipped a little bit in the second inning, but it, it came back up to like the 94, 95 range a little bit later on. So, yeah, definitely encouraging signs. Yeah, I think just just from that one start, looking at some of his numbers, and you talk about the fastball movement, the the cutter was almost five inches of horizontal break, and that's according to Baseball's Avant, that's fifty three percent above league average right there. Uh, so that's that's really great to see. A lot of his pitches were above league average in terms of movement. Um, but I, I completely agree about the he, how polished he looked out there in the mound already. And this is someone you know who. I never got a chance to watch him live in person before this. Last summer, my wife gave birth to our, our first son in early September, late September. So the summer months last year, were there's a lot going on there. Uh, so I didn't get to make it out to Bowie or, or anywhere really to, to watch a lot of guys last season. But um, when you're looking at Dean Kramer, something to look at, if you're looking at the numbers, you don't want to take a lot from minor league numbers. But the strikeout numbers, I mean, have always been there for him. And so I think that's what you can look at there and say that, yeah, the the delivery is good. It's easy. It's repeatable delivery. He looks really fluid on the mound. And when you look at those high strikeout numbers uh, from across his minor league career, I think that tells you that this guy definitely does have a future in the major leagues. And that first outing kind of is the game to prove that. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. got great hair as well. And uh, it's a, it's also a good story that he's like the first Israel-born pitcher or, or player in the major leagues. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, he, he certainly you know, looked polished out there. And I didn't know what to expect because we knew, I guess, he was held back from summer camp initially because of an injury. Um, he had very little time at AAA last year. So although I expected and believed that Kramer deserved a shot in the rotation later this season, um, I didn't, honestly, I would not have been able to guess for you what that was going to look like. I thought more than anything that tuning up for 2021 was the value in bringing him to the major leagues. But based on what I saw on Sunday, I think he immediately makes the Orioles rotation better. If he's able to do even a fraction of that um, over the final month of the season, the Orioles have not only found themselves a pitcher making them better this year, but someone I think they can easily rely on to be probably their number three starter next year opening day dean kramer here we go hey hey you never know 
Yeah, and it, it's a good sign. I think I saw a few people make this comment over, over the weekend that this is we've seen this first wave, if you want to call them that, with Mountcastle, Aiken, and Kramer, and now that you know Mountcastle hitting the ball well is one thing. Aiken getting a few good starts is another thing, but now this is our third top prospect who's in the big leagues. And so I think that makes Orioles fans feel a lot better. Like when we were winning games at the beginning of the year and those first 20 or so games, like I, I was honestly bored. Like I, I watched these games, but you know, I've got a whole library of games on MLB TV so I can just flip to anything else. And, you know, as great as Pat Flake is, and I, I feel like I need to apologize to Pat Flake later on, but, as great as he's been at times, and you know, I don't want to watch Pat Vileka or Mason Williams, and, and Renato Nunez is fun to watch, but like he doesn't do anything for me in terms of the future. Uh, so you know, it's just kind of like how many of these guys are going to be around in three years? Not very many of them. So it's just kind of boring to me. But now, like I'm hanging on to every single pitch, and you're starting to see these guys come in. And Kramer being that real, he wasn't the first guy to reach the major leagues from that Manny Machado trade. I think uh, Bravik Valera was part of that deal, and. The, you know, I'm sure not very many people remember Bravery Valera being on the Orioles, but you see the first prospect come up from that trade, and it was a good first start. And so I think that's something else that Orioles fans can point to and say, wow, all right, maybe the worst is behind us, and it's only up from here. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I feel too, Nick. Like maybe we actually, and Kramer's start can be one of the defining points of this, but I almost, at times, I, I watch this team play, and I feel like, Maybe the worst of it is behind us. Even if this team's not a contender in 2021, I don't think it's going to be the really bad brand of baseball that we've seen the last uh, two seasons or so. Yeah, it's nice to know we've hit rock bottom, and there's only one way to go from here. Exactly. And since uh, Nick mentioned I want to remind people of who else was in that uh, Manny Machado trade. Ryland Bannon, who the three of us are all still pretty high on, and Yusniel Diaz. So although it might be a little slow going for some Orioles fans, I think we're really just starting to see the beginning of the potential with the Machado trade. Now that Kramer has made it to the majors, and Diaz and Bannon, I feel like are probably guys that we're looking at in 2021. Yeah, you could be looking at your number three pitcher at worst in Kramer for next year, your starting right fielder, and maybe even your starting third baseman. So, Yeah, and Bannon was one of the guys that we kind of thought coming into the year, you know, before the minor league season was essentially shut down, that could be a real breakout candidate. Um, and just unfortunately, the conditions really didn't allow for that, but still someone to keep an eye on going into next season. And I think he was just added to the player pool this week, so maybe... Very long shot, but at least he's getting some reps in it, Bowie. And maybe a long shot if an injury or two pops up, we could see him a little bit towards the end of the season. So we're going to continue focusing on the rotation here with Keegan Aiken, who on Saturday uh, won a pitcher's duel against the Yankees' prized free agent acquisition over the offseason in Garrett Cole. Uh, Aiken went five and a third scoreless innings with eight strikeouts. Um, for me, the biggest sign of encouragement was that he made it into five and a third innings because we've kind of seen him struggle a little bit in the mid innings generally after going through the order the first time pretty smoothly. Um, Nick, what was your impression of Aiken on Saturday? Give him an extension now. I mean, he took down Garrett Cole, the, the almighty Garrett Cole. Uh, it was really fun to watch that out. And uh, again, another, you know that Garrett Cole is 
the guy that you're going up against uh, on the mound for the Yankees. And it is just the New York Yankees. I mean, even if they don't have the judge and Stanton's and this big lineup that, you know, they, they normally have, it's still the New York Yankees, which I feel like adds a lot to a, a rookie pitcher's mentality uh, when they step on that mound. But when he goes into the fifth inning there, eight strikeouts, um, you know, he did have four walks, but that's kind of what we expect out of him. I, I don't think those numbers are going to decrease too much. He's going to walk, guys. That's just that's just him. Uh, but, you know, when you look overall, the, the average exit velocity on balls in playoff, Aiken is slightly below average, which is good to see because he's really not getting a lot of ground balls. But you see a lot of weak, those pop flies up to right field. Uh, he made DJ Stewart work out there in right field in that start. Um the fastball, talking about movement, uh, opponents are only hitting 200 off his fastball, and it's producing 11 inches of horizontal movement, which is 52% above league average. So, again, someone else who with a lot of movement on these pitches, uh, it's hard to barrel that up. You talk about the slider, he's throwing it a lot. Uh, I don't think he's allowed a single hit off the slider. Um, the changeup is the big thing. That was my biggest takeaway. He threw some absolute beauties of a changeup in that outing. Um, and that was the one pitch that he was really working on down in AAA last year. And, and it, that work is clearly paying off. Um, opponents are hitting 222 off his changeup, but have an 094 expected batting average. And it's got a 44% whiff rate. Like that's, that's fantastic. Um, 9.2 innings as a starter. He has yet to give up an earned run with 16 strikeouts. I mean, it's, it's very, very early with Keegan Aiken, but uh, I don't know what they're doing down in Bowie but it is magical what they're doing down there with these guys. Uh, this is fun to watch. And I don't want to overhype these guys because, again, there are still questions if Aiken can stick in that rotation. He really struggles to get through that fifth inning. Um, hopefully we can maybe get one outing where he goes a, a clean six innings, maybe see if he can do that. I'll take that as a win. But right now, you, again, same thing. You couldn't ask for anything better with that outing against New York. Now just continue to build off that, continue to miss bats. Uh, get through that fifth inning and, and go from there. And we'll answer the question about starter reliever in 2021 later on. Absolutely. And in order for Keegan Aiken's change up to live, John Means change up had to die apparently because <laughs> he was looking a little bit like 2019 John Means out there. But no, I, I honestly was not aware that his change up was that strong. I mean, I know he's always been known for his, his fastball being a weapon. He can command it pretty well. It's got good movement, good velocity on it. But that changeup was like, he was commanding it, at least the last couple starts. It's been pretty great. His breaking ball, it's a little get-me-over, but it's not bad. I mean, if he can just continue to mix up his pitches, build his arm up, I think the way he was toyed around in the beginning to middle of the season has not helped his longevity in games. But hopefully he can improve upon that. And, yeah, maybe – I could I could see him sticking around as a back end rotation guy if he can improve on the things he needs to improve on. But if not, he could be a fastball changeup guy out of the bullpen that could be pretty dangerous coming in late in games. Yeah, I you know, I've never had this notion, I don't think either one of you have either, that Aiken would all of a sudden turn into a ground ball pitcher that doesn't walk anybody. I think you've always known what he's going to be, and that's going to be a guy who is basically a fly ball pitcher. He's going to get you the strikeouts, but with the strikeouts are going to come the walks. To me, it, what both of you touched on is right. The changeup is really improving, it seems like, from outing to outing. So I really hope that he continues to build off of that. And I've felt like it's important for the Orioles to get him into a consistent role, ideally as a starter. Because although, yes, long term, he might be a reliever. 
I want to see what he has. And I think that given the fact that he actually proved to be a pretty durable pitcher in the minor leagues, that's one thing going in his favor as a starter is that you know that as time goes on, if he's able to get through that fifth, six innings, you know, those five or six innings, you can at least count on him to take the ball every five days. But so far, the fact that he has been able to move into the rotation and really get a little bit better with each start is really encouraging to me. Um, wanted to bring up one point for anybody that might look at the final score of Saturday's game and ask why I described a 6-1 to Orioles win as a pitcher's duel. Um, there was not a run scored until the bottom of the six. Uh, and when the Orioles opened the floodgates with five runs, uh, Dylan Tate ultimately got credit with the win after coming in relief for Aiken. But still, that tells you that Aiken's going up against you know, what's still, I think, a respectable lineup against one of the, the guy who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball over the last two and a half years and keeping the hitters in check and putting the Orioles in the position where they can have that late inning rally to come back and win the game. Yeah, I was going to say, you talk about his like his demeanor in the mound. He's He kind of strikes me, and he seems like a very private person and just someone who, if he's not pitching – he just wants to be back at his, his cabin hunting, fishing. Like that. I feel like that's just Keegan Aiken. That's all he wants to do. Um, I think I, I've listened to interviews or read articles about him where, you know, when you're talking about those advanced analytics, it's, it's, he's going to use that and learn from that, obviously, but that's not the kind of person that he is. Like he over during the shutdown, he built himself a, a barn and a pitcher mound. And he said, that's all I needed. Uh, that's just the kind of guy he is. And I'm wondering if kind of toying with him in the beginning, we're going to call you up now, sit here for a week. All right, you're a reliever. All right, now you're a starter. You're going back to Bowie. Now you're back up. I'm wondering if that's putting this big chip on his shoulder, and now he's out to to prove a lot of, of people wrong in the in the Orioles organization. Um, and, and if so, I, I'm all for it. I'm here for the Keegan Hicken uh, revenge tour out here. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, like you said, it's it, when it goes bad, it it is going to get very bad for him, I think. I think you're at least one outing down the stretch. You're only looking at three, maybe four more starts the rest of the year. I think one of them is going to get really bad for him. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. But, again, you can't discredit what he's done up to this point and, and understand that, yes, he, he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. Um, he's going to walk guys. He's going to give up a, lot, a couple of home runs. But he's also going to strike, strike a lot of guys out, and he's definitely improving. He looks a lot better than he did last year in AAA. Yes. So are you saying he is Nick Marcakis if he had gone the pitcher route out of college? Maybe. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> he just goes hunting and says you know a lot and doesn't just wants to play baseball. Yeah, that, that's all he wants to do. Yeah, it, it, you know, the thing that I think is going to be key for him um, is just making sure that he keeps the hard contact to a minimum because, as we've discussed, he's a fly ball pitcher by nature. So if you're able, especially as the weather starts cooling down here over the next few weeks, um, and maybe the conditions get a little bit more favorable to pitchers, um, just keep the hard contact to a minimum, keep improving the change up, and I think he's going to get through most of these starts. Yeah, I think so. So we um, did want to touch on the relievers a little bit because we have not really had a chance to break down a healthy – Hunter Harvey this season. Uh, Harvey was on the injured list to begin the year, only returned recently. Um, so far, he's appeared in four games, four innings pits, a walk, three strikeouts, um, one earned run allowed, so that's an ERA of 2.25. Uh, 
Uh, he did get in and looked, I thought, pretty effective in an inning and a, inning and a third um, against the Yankees on Sunday, even though he did not get a strikeout in that outing. Um, Bob, what have your impressions of Harvey been, at least in a little bit we've seen him? He, he looks like Hunter Harvey from last year to me. I mean, it looks like he picked up right where he left off to me. He's he's still throwing at high 90s. He's got the nice mound presence, good demeanor on the mound. He reads closer to me. The big question is if he can stay healthy, if he can pitch in back-to-back games and not have to have two or three days off to recover. That's all it comes down to for me is health. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be and pitching out of the bullpen. Clearly, it's not going to work as a starter. Uh, he should be effective. He's I only got three strikeouts so far in four innings, but I think the stuff is going to prove that that will go up over time. I mean, just just stay healthy. That's all. That's all I could say. Yeah, I think. I mean, he's already hurt for most of this year, or at least this this shortened season here, uh, being on the injured list. So, I mean, he's probably only going to get a few more innings the rest of the way out. Um, but he doesn't have the strikeouts. But again, it's just a matter of he, he looks just as good, exactly like you said. He looks just as good as he did last year. Uh, the stuff, he may not be having the, the great results like he did in that short stint last year, only 6.1 innings last year as well. But he's, he looks good enough to where, yes, you still see a guy who can be a closer in 2020, 2021 for this Orioles team. But I, I I mean, I don't really have much else to add on Hunter Harvey at this point, except it's it is that just stay healthy. Just if you can get five, six, seven more innings out of the bullpen, um, you know, keep the ball in the yard. Uh, maybe see let's see a few more strikeouts the rest of the way. Uh, you start to feel a little bit more comfortable as him with him moving forward. But it again, it is just all about staying healthy because it's been what six, seven, eight years of of Hunter Harvey being hurt. Uh, and that's the book on him. And we're still not out of the woods yet. Um, but then again, he's only 25 years old, and it seems like he should be 35 years old at this point. But he, he's still a young guy, and, and he looks great, and the hair is great. And I don't know what else you can ask for him right now. Yeah, Harvey's hair has kind of entered like <laughs> mid-'90s Randy Johnson territory. Hey, let's... <laughs> Yeah, that was the best comparison I could come up with when I saw it on Sunday. But, um, yeah, him staying healthy is really, I think, the most important thing down the stretch. You know, I think the strikeouts, even if we look at his stat line at the end of the year and think, oh, his strikeouts were down a little bit, they're eventually going to come back if he's healthy. And I'm fully confident that he has the stuff and the demeanor to be a really effective late-inning reliever at the major league level. But he's got to stay healthy. And I think, as Bob said, you have to get to the point where you're comfortable with the idea of putting him on the mound back-to-back games. You know, even if he is only pitching an inning at a time, you just want to make sure that you can work him into a regular workload that you don't put the risk of him getting hurt again. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see that this year, though. Yeah, not this year, but yeah, that's got to be the long-term goal. Yeah, yeah well, I think long-term, that's what you want to look at, and I think that you know, for now, Brandon Hyde has to be conservative with how he uses Harvey. Uh, you want to put him in high leverage spots because that's where he ultimately is going to be. But I think that you have to really, you know, think twice before you try putting him in back-to-back nights or have him go for a five, six-out appearance. So there, there is another young reliever emerging uh, in the Orioles' bullpen as a pretty reliable option, and I'm going to give Nick a chance to talk about him. Dylan Tate, um, who came through again on Saturday, was another big outing. Um, 
I'm quoting from Nick's tweet on Saturday here. Five games, nine and two, nine and nine two thirds innings pitched, uh, 111 average against, three earned runs, 10 strikeouts. Um, I know that this was someone, Nick, that we all had our eye on coming into the season. He started the year on the IL, but it doesn't look like he's really missed a whole lot since he's come back. He's looked really sharp, hasn't he? Yeah, he's looked fantastic. And actually, that tweet was actually a little old because after, if you add that last iron against the Yankees, it's a 2.45 ERA, a 0.73 whip, an 0.93 average against, and 12 strikeouts in 11 innings. Uh, I mean, the thing was, the Orioles moved him from starter to reliever after he got hurt in Bowie, missed some time, came back, put him in the bullpen, and then kind of really rushed him up through AA, through AAA, and into the pros. And I was anxious to see what would he look like knowing that he's got a full offseason to work out as a reliever and get in that mindset. But then you know, COVID-19 popping up, so that kind of throws a wrench in there. The injury pops up, you throw another wrench in there. Uh, he's looked really good. He looks confident out there on the mound. Um, I think if you really look at his numbers, and that there might be a little bit of luck in there. And, and the stuff may not be as great as what some of those numbers that we read off uh, are. But at the same time, he's having results right now. He's pitching one, two innings uh, when he goes out there, which is really good to see. That's someone who, you know, if things get bad, I think Dylan Tate is going to be a really valuable guy to have on the roster. So where when these young guys, if something does happen to Keegan Aiken, he gets bounced in the second inning. Could Dylan Tate come in and be that guy to give you three or four innings? He might be able to. Maybe not this year because I feel like he might still be working his way back a little bit. But next year, this is a guy who, if you want to put him in an inning in the seventh inning or so and just say go full throttle and get these three outs, uh, I think he's capable of doing that. But also if you need to extend him a little bit, he's also capable of doing that. Um, we'll have to see again, short sample size. So, you know, the numbers are going to be a little wonky, but uh, I'm interested to see how he plays out the rest, the rest of the way here, these final three weeks of the regular season, but so far so good. Yeah, completely agree with what Nick said. He, he might be a little bit lucky with his overall numbers right now, but he has looked good and I'm just really happy for him that, you know, former top pick, he's long time thought he was going to be a elite starter potential then he goes through injuries and ineffectiveness and he's found a, a good place in the bullpen and like nick said he's a guy that yeah he could be your seventh inning you know late inning relief guy but at the same time he can give you some length in a pinch if you need three or four innings out of him and it's just nice that we we actually got something out of the zach britton trade potentially He's what Cody Carroll never could be. <laughs> uh, yeah, he looks good. Um, I think he's he's got a place long term on the team. It's I, and I can't wait for more guys like Isaac Matson and other relief prospects to come up and really just have like a prospect overload in our bullpen. Yeah, there's certainly the potential for that because Matson is a guy I actually thought we were going to see by now, but I think the Orioles haven't quite had to go that far into their depth yet. The bullpen's been pretty effective, and even after Michael Givens and Miguel Castro are traded, uh, the bullpen still is an area of strength on this roster. Um, Tate, it would really be intriguing to me to see if after this season, because I think as you both said, that for this year you just want to focus on making sure that he stays healthy. Um, and just continues to get the results. But it would be interesting to me to see, because he does have that background as a starter, is he a guy where you have a little bit of flexibility with his role, where he could come in, um, you know, if a starter struggles to get through the second, third, or fourth inning, and come in and give you two or three quality outings? Or could he be a guy 
that you go to in the seventh or eighth inning of a one-run game. Um, I, there's a lot of possibilities there. For now, I really enjoy what he's doing in these one- and two-inning appearances. Um, and he's showing a little bit of potential to have some flexibility going forward. And even if you're that mid-range guy, if you know that he can go two good innings every few days and you can set him, use him to bring him in after the starter exits and use him as a bridge to get to Zach Pop next year, a guy that I know all three of us are really excited about, Tanner Scott and a Hunter Harvey in the back of that bullpen. I mean, that's this bullpen was uh, something fun to watch this year. I think it's going to be 10 times more fun to watch next year. As long as all these guys are healthy and ready to go, and we see a few more guys added uh, who are down in the player pool and in AAA and AA this year, I think this bullpen, again, next year could definitely be one of one of the top top 10 easy uh, bullpens in Major League Baseball, maybe even higher. Yeah, I think a lot of Orioles fans would be surprised by that, but I completely agree with that assessment. Yeah, absolutely. And Pop is another guy that because he's been out since really early 2019 um, with injuries. You know, he's a guy that we have not had a chance to see yet, but that's someone who was still rated pretty highly by us on our top prospect list um, coming into 2020. And I absolutely view him as part of the major league bullpen in 2021, maybe not right away. Um, but my guess is that maybe by June or July, we see him in some sort of mid or late inning relief role. Yeah. You still got guys like Paul Fry, who I'm sure he's having an outstanding year. I don't think a lot of people, enough people talk about Paul Fry. He was a guy who, I, again, one of those guys who I was like, I don't care if Paul Fry comes in, like I'm going to go do something else during that inning, but not this year. I mean, he's been great to watch. And so you maybe. Maybe he comes back again next year, uh, again, to let and, – and that's great. To, if Paul Fry can come back next year and we can let the guys like Zach Pops and Isaac Matsons work a little bit in AAA, and then when you talk about right before the All-Star break, we could see this big flux of, of Orioles pitchers coming up through the system and into the pros. Um, I think that's when we're going to see a, a lot of big prospect talent come up. And, and it's great that we have these veterans who are performing well now to let these guys sit and bake a little longer down the minor leagues or down in Bowie this year at the, in the player pool. Um, like we mentioned before, I think the worst is definitely behind us. And it's, it's, you know, I, I hate that it's all like positive, positive, positive with all these guys and everything. It's like the Orioles are still not a very good team overall, but like a lot of really good things are happening. And it's fun after the last two years of watching this team. There is a light. At the end, a little bit of a flicker of light but down at the end of that tunnel over there. But yeah, Paul Fry, keep pitching great so we can trade you for another <laughs> Kevin Smith type. So there's one thing I want to mention with Fry um, that I, I have found interesting about his stats all year, and I've kind of been wanting to work it into a show, and now we have this opportunity. Fry has been just as good against right-handed batters as he has been against left-handed batters. And in this day and age, with three batter minimum, that one-hand, you know, that left-handed specialist role, not as valuable as it once was because managers can't use relievers in the same way that they used to. If he's able to do that consistently going forward, to me, Fry's bull, you know, value to the bullpen, regardless of whether that's long-term to the Orioles or for another year or two before he gets traded, as Bob mentioned, is all the more possible just because you know you have the flexibility. You have a left-hander who is effective against guys on both sides of the plate. Yeah, that's huge. That's actually good to know. Again, I, I never took the time to look at Paul Fry's numbers, like really do a deep dive into numbers, but I mean, that's great to see. And, and yeah, you, 
I would imagine that those numbers would be pretty good considering that we do have the three batter minimum rule already in place. And yet you see Paul Fry out there numerous times a week. So Brandon Hyde obviously trusts him and he's, he's proven worthy so far. Yeah. And the, I'll note that the sample sizes are roughly the same. 39 plate appearances against uh, from right-handed batters, a 250-308-361 slash line. 33 plate appearances by lefties, it's a 250-273-438 slash line. So it's not as though he's faced one side of the plate disproportionately more than the other. He's been out there about even with uh, left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters. Yeah, that's surprising. I didn't know that. But that's good. That's good to hear. So uh, we're going to turn our attention now to uh, position player slate. The Orioles uh, had a big blow with Anthony Santander, uh, oblique injury, the guy who pretty much had been the team MVP up until that injury and for a good portion of this shortened season. Actually, looks like he might have a run in the American League MVP before he cooled off a little bit. Um, but a little bit of a surprise emerged on the back end of that, and that was the reemergence of DJ Stewart. Um, a few episodes ago, if you listened, all three of us were pretty down on Stewart. Um, after he came up and was on the opening day roster for being sent back to Bowie after going 0 for 14. Um, and while there are still some concerns that I have about where Stewart fits in long term, and I'll get into that in a moment, it's undeniable how much better he has looked at the plate since he came back up. Um, so, Bob, what do you think about what we've seen from Stewart? Uh, since he was recalled from Bowie. First, um, I'm glad that it's only oblique strain. It's got Santander. Even if he's out for the season, that's something he can easily recover from in the offseason. You know, it's not like it's a torn ACL, something that might linger long term. But at this point, I'm convinced if they send Chris Davis down to Bowie for two weeks, he's going to come back as his uh, 2013 self. Apparently I he mean, is in Bowie. So maybe. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, okay. <laughs> Getting ready for next year. No, it just seems like whatever they do down there, these players come back with a bit. I don't know if it's like the analytics or if it's just what they're instilling into them, but they are coming back on a mission. And DJ Stewart is no different. He he came back. He walked three times in the first two games, and then he hit a home run in three consecutive at bats. His his OPS went from three eighty five to nine ninety in two games this weekend. So, yeah, I think he's our right fielder of the future. Barry Bonds, look out. <laughs> No, it's it's fun to see. He, I thought his he had just run out of chances the last time when he got sent down, but he lucked into having another opportunity this year with the injuries and them not wanting to bring Diaz up yet. So he's making the most of it so far. Hopefully he continues that and makes it difficult next year about what they're going to do in the outfield. It's shocking to see that 990 OPS leads the Baltimore Orioles right now in that lineup. I mean, I, I'm sorry for anything mean I said about DJ Stewart. Um, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Pat Baleka here as well. Since I said in the last episode that I never want to watch him play baseball again, he has a 205 WRC plus and he's hitting 467 with a 500 on base percentage. So Pat Baleka obviously listens to our show and he was doing that to prove me wrong. Uh, but with DJ Stewart, like I'm, I'm glad that he's doing it. He's a guy who I've been pretty down on and, and I'm still view him kind of I'm still real skeptical when when I look at DJ Stewart, but at the same time, he's one of those guys, like he's a former first round pick. He's someone who I've, I've watched numerous times down in Frederick uh, when he was coming up through the minor leagues. And he would always have that game where you, you leave the stadium and you just, you don't understand why he was a first round pick. And it was just terrible approach at the plate. 
you know, kind of whatever in the outfield. And then you have games that you walk away where he clutch hits, uh, fantastic plays in the outfield. That speed really shines. I, I know the the fun thing to do and uh, it, the cool thing to do on Twitter, you know, is make fun of DJ Stewart and that play in the outfield where the ball bounces off his head. But uh, DJ Stewart's a lot better than that. Uh, is he going to be a major league regular? I don't know yet. I highly doubt it. But this is a guy who's proving that obviously he is he is worth a spot on a major league roster, and it's just great to see him come up and fill that role from from Santander, who's unfortunately going to be out for the rest of the year. Man, he's got legitimate wheels for a guy his size, and yeah, I think his defense is not as bad as he showed in right field last year. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's definitely not that bad. I mean, I would. In some respects, because of the arm, I might prefer to see him a little bit more in left than in right. But I would still put him there ahead of Ryan Malcastle right now um, and ahead of Cedric Mullins. So I think he's the best option they have for right field for the rest of the season. Um, My hope with Stewart for a while has been that you can at least see him settle into some kind of role player. Um, I haven't been quite able to pinpoint what that is because the power has been kind of hot and cold. Uh, over the years in the minors. Um, He gets on base, but doesn't necessarily hit for that high of an average. Um, And he's also not really a traditional platoon player either. So, because his lefty splits have generally been better than he's been against righties. So it's always been hard to pinpoint what is DJ Stewart's role in the major leagues. But I think what he's showing right now is that he at least belongs in the conversation, whereas I don't know that six weeks ago or however long it was that he was sent down to Bowie, we would have been saying that. Now it feels like, okay, well, if Stewart finishes 2020 in a good place, you have to figure out where do you fit him in in 2021 because he's not a guy that you want to take at bats away from. Um, so maybe that is as a part-time player in some capacity where we see him uh, kind of go between the two corner outfield spots, first base and D8s and not necessarily operate in a strict platoon role. But it's, yeah, I think he's worked his way back into the conversation, at least for the near term, to figure out there is still something here. How do we fit him in at the major league level? Yeah, and that's all you can ask for. Maybe he's going to be what we thought Dwight Smith Jr. might be at the beginning of last year when he came out hot out of the gates in 2019. You know, he's a little bit better defensively than Dwight Smith, who isn't. He uh, might not have the pure power, but he's got a better on-base percentage. So he could play a role for sure. And if he can grab a first base mitt, he can just platoon around next year and fill in the gaps. Yeah, I even I even think there will be if if he can continue to hit like this. I mean, he's not going to continue to hit home run in three straight days or three straight at bats. But if he can continue just to hit regularly and show that he can keep getting on base and play a decent outfield. Um, I'm thinking next year you know, you've got probably Eusenio Diaz out in the outfield conversation more than likely uh, Austin Hayes. You've got uh, Santander out in the left field maybe, and then ideally Chris Davis is gone. Like that would just solve so many issues right now with getting guys at bats. And then you can have kind of right Mountcastle and, and Trey Mancini maybe split first base DH a little bit. I know that then you got Renato Nunez to throw in there too, but um, you know you wonder it. Is how much is Trey Mancini going to be able to play next year? Are they going to ease him back into this? Uh, what's his body? How is his body going to respond to all of this uh, next year if he can come back? Um, so I think there are going to be plenty of at-bats for DJ Stewart. But, yeah, like you said, it's just a matter of where do you put him and how do you play him? 
I wanted to mention Yusniel Diaz because this is someone we actually, you know, had speculated just a couple shows ago that maybe we would see at the major league level before the season ended. Right now, though, I'm not sure if the Orioles really have room for Diaz because Stewart is starting to hit. You have Mason Williams on the roster right now. Cedric Mullins has, you know, really broken out as we have discussed, and obviously there's no displacing Ryan Mountcastle from this lineup right now. Um, I'll throw this out to you, Nick. Do you think there's any chance we see Diaz this year, or do you think that ship has sailed? Yeah, I think that that's gone. I don't think we're going to see him at all this year. Um, and you know, I'm I'm fine with that. If again, seeing what these guys are doing down in Bowie, or what they're doing at the major league level when they come from Bowie, uh, if they're working that same magic with Diaz, uh, he only played in like 76 games in, in Bowie last season. Uh, lots of injuries, hamstring injuries that kept popping back up again. Uh, so he hasn't really played that much in this system. He only played in a handful of games after being traded here in 2018. Um, we've seen what he can do when he's healthy. Uh, you know, a guy who I think at the major league level is around 15 home runs, 30 plus doubles, uh, well above average WRC plus, uh, cannon for an arm in right field. If you check out his Twitter account, he retweeted me last year. He doesn't tweet very often, like at all. So like his second tweet is a video that he retweeted uh, of himself throwing a gunning out a guy down at second base from the warning track. It's an amazing video. That's the kind of guy Diaz is. But uh, he doesn't have that AAA experience yet. And so yeah, that's why I think the ship has definitely sailed this year. Yeah, as much as I would love to see him come up for a couple of weeks here at the end, I think DJ Stewart's gain is Diaz's loss. Elias did mention that he's close. He's a dark horse prospect we have right now, but I just don't see why they would waste a year of um, eligibility, whatever, uh, (laughs) you know, service time. That's the word I'm looking for. With uh, just a couple weeks, when you've got a a decent outfield right now, Mullins, who is rebounded, and Stewart as well. Yeah, just let him start AAA next year. Get a month or two in. He'll be the guy that comes up in late May, early June, and lights a spark in the lineup and yeah i think it'll be exciting whenever he does come but unfortunately i don't think it's going to be this year anymore you know i i do really i'm looking forward to the day where we see diaz at the major league level and i don't think it's all that far away because this is a prospect where you don't really have the questions about his defense i'm really confident in his ability to stick in right field and actually believe that it might be worth it depending on where the orioles are they might not need to do this if Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, or some combination between the two players takes control of center field. But if the Orioles do have a need for a center fielder at some point, I wouldn't mind seeing them roll Diaz uh, into that spot just to see what he can do. But I almost wonder if in the short term now, if the Orioles do need another outfielder before the season ends, if it's now going to be Ryan McKenna as opposed to Diaz, because McKenna is already on the 40-man roster, which Diaz is not. And then with McKenna, you at least know you have a guy whose defense and what he can bring with his speed um, is going to give him a defined role in the major leagues right now. Whereas I think you're only going to bring Diaz up if you know you can get regular bats for him. You know, I was thinking that actually myself uh, earlier this week. It, yeah, you can bring him up and you're not as worried about service time with him. You know he can play good defense. You can get, find spots for him here and there towards the end of the season, but you don't need to run him out there every day, whereas you would with Diaz to see what you have. So, yeah, that I like that point right there. Yeah, the, the key thing is he's already on the 40-man. So And uh, Diaz will have to go on the 40-man 
uh, right after the end of the season because I, I think he's Rule 5 eligible this year. But I think with when you have to use so many pitchers and so many injuries in the outfield already, and, you know, like you said, you, you want him to get regular at-bats, and that's not going to happen this year over these last three weeks. So, you know, you could dump Mason Williams again and bring up Diaz for sure, but Diaz is just going to sit on the bench a lot. Uh, so, but with McKenna, I think that's fine. If McKenna comes up and gets 25, 30 at bats, I think that's great. I'm, I would love to see what Ryan McKenna could do in a few at bats. Um, and obviously the Orioles want to see what he can do since they protected him from the rule five draft last year. So, but yeah, he doesn't have that high ceiling. It's nothing close to what using Diaz has. So um, I would be all for that. There is still, you know, some room to develop with McKenna in the bat. And I think that even if he did come up to the majors at the end of this year, you might look at putting him down at AAA regularly next year just so he can get at bats. But I think if you're looking to fill a short-term spot for, you know, let's say the last 20 games of this year, if the Orioles have a need or even over the last 10 to 15 games, we're at the point now where I think it's going to more likely be that if they go with a prospect who's going to be making his debut, it's going to be McKenna as opposed to Diaz. Yep, I agree there. So um, that's been that's really the big news of the week for Orioles prospects. Although, given how this season has gone, uh, hopefully we have a little bit more uh, in the pipe over the final weeks as the Orioles continue to have what is overall a, a fun season to watch and a surprising season in many respects. I don't think anybody would have expected that on September 7th they would still be in the hunt for a playoff spot. Uh, but they're in that position right now, and they go into – the beginning of Tuesday's series against the Mets at City Field with some momentum. Uh, before we sign off, I'll give Nick and Bob, starting with Bob, a chance to add any final thoughts. Um, I want to see an Isaac Matson or a Bruce Zimmerman or someone to replace Andrew Velasquez. Do we really need him on this team um, at this point? But I, I want to see a, some more new blood. I want to just see the young guys continue to play good, be competitive. You don't have to win, but just make it entertaining to watch. Give Orioles fans something to watch. Like Nick said, even when we were winning before in the season, it's who are you doing it with? It matters more long-term because we know this year doesn't really count, at least not for the Orioles. So yeah, I just want to be entertained while I'm watching the last three weeks of the season. Exactly. Um, I, I think the only other thing that, that I didn't mention with Santander uh, something interesting that I had no idea until I looked earlier this morning. But, you know, when in terms of right field across Major League Baseball, the leader in defensive run saves is Mookie Betts. He has nine right now. The, the guy in second place on that list is Anthony Santander with eight. That's huge. Um, that was pretty mind-blowing when I saw that number. That's a huge loss. And, and I think just in terms of Santander's future, uh, he really changed my mind this year. Uh, I was pretty convinced and I was going to move from my position that this is a guy who is a really, really, really good fourth outfielder on a winning Orioles team, switch hitter, power, speed, defense, can play all three positions. If you need to play center field, he can. Um, He improved the on-base percentage, strikeouts went down, walks went up, uh, the ISO power is up, all the numbers were up. Um, That batting average remained consistent. I think he's hitting 261 this year and hit 261 last year, but everything else is up. Uh, and those defensive numbers out in right field were amazing to see. That's a huge blow. Uh, I hope he, uh, like you said, Bob, it's not a serious injury. It's just one that lingers around for a long time. So he'll be back in 2021 fully healthy. He might be back for uh, the first round of the playoffs when we take on Tampa Bay. 
we'll see. But, you know, I, I just I hope it gets better soon. And, and I'm really excited for Santander in 2021. Yeah, that's a great point, Nick. He really looked like an improved player on both sides of the ball this year. And I had a lot of questions about him coming into this year. I felt like, if nothing else, we were seeing the emergence of a bat-first fourth outfielder who maybe could increase his versatility with some games at first base or DH. But now, not only am I more convinced that the bat um, is going to stick at the major league level and we're in an everyday spot, I'm a lot more confident on what I see out of him in the outfield. So, you know, it's disappointing to see his season cut short uh, as it's likely going to be, but uh, he made the most of it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in 2021. Uh, one quick aside, and I actually just pulled up a twi- uh, tweet that Nick sent out on Sunday because I wanted to note it because I agreed with it. Uh, Jeff Arnold and Ben McDonald were great on the Masson broadcast. Uh, the two of them really rose to the occasion for what I thought was a, a big day for Orioles fans, not just because it's the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken's uh, 21-31, but also Dean Kramer's debut. So they did a great job, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned that before we went off the air. Great point. Yeah, between him and Kevin Brown, I think the Orioles have a really nice young crop of announcers and i know adam pole down in Bowie. he's another guy that they could bring up one one day soon and he would do a great job as well so yeah great talent in the booth yeah yeah um, and I, i'll go ahead nick i was gonna say yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned adam pole the guy you watch one Bowie Bay Sox game i, I don't want to rag on, on their feed right now during a during a global pandemic for a minor league baseball team but like the, the feed quality isn't the greatest but uh, if you watch one Bowie Bay Sox game on MILB TV or listen on the radio uh, and you hear Adam Pohl call a game, it, it's true excitement. It is genuine excitement. And you learn so much, just not just about the Orioles or those players on the field, but a lot of Bowie's past, Orioles minor league past. He's great. Jeff Arnold's great when he was in Frederick. I listened to a lot of Melanie Newman when she was with Salem last year because that's really the only time we get to see the Frederick Keys on MILB TV is when they play Salem. Uh, she's great. It's, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to mention the other guy, the dinosaur in the booth that uh, hopefully we don't see anymore. I'm sure we'll see him tomorrow night against the Mets. But there's so much good talent out there in the booth that uh, the Orioles are – the future is bright on the field and in the booth. Just like that. Well, on that note, um, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. Uh, Baltimore Sports and Life, continue to check the site for new content. Hop on the message board for discussion. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Bob's latest three up, three down story is up. Uh, BSL owner Chris Stoner also has a look at the Orioles 40 games into the season. And on Tuesday, I'm going to have a story on Neil Diaz, kind of looking at what his role could be at the major league level. So if you're listening to this and that story has come out by then, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com to check it out. Um, we'll be back next week with more commentary on the Orioles for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan. This is Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening to On the Verge. High Five Casino. Social casino fun with real prizes and big Vegas hits. Have you had your High Five moment today? Hey there, I'm Bob. Before High Five Casino, my High Fives were more like low threes. But after my High Five moment, boom! High Fives all around. That's the spirit. High Five Casino is turning every moment into a High Five moment. Visit h5c.fun. That's h, the number 5, c.fun. And start spinning and winning today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino only. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.